When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. For the ones who get going when the going gets tough. And the ones who know we're tougher together. For the pathfinders breaking new ground. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as fast access to experts and 24-7 customer support. Because we know you have people depending on you, so you can always depend on us. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Hi, we're here for another film study. This is Ken McCusick. I'm joined here by Dev Penchwa. Dev, how are you doing today? I'm great, Ken. It's good to be back with you after what seems like a, a tremendously long hiatus. When you factor in the season ending as well, it's like it's been 10 months, but maybe like less of that, right? <laughs> yeah, there you go. One of my favorite people to talk football with, Dev. And uh, and uh, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit because you have an interesting article out on RSR talking about five Ravens to watch in 2020. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I like to do these pieces. I did one last year and I thought what was interesting is that last year I was completely off the mark on every single guy I picked. So I, I think, you know, just thinking through this season, what was really interesting was I was off, but there was guys that, that did step up, like Chuck Clark being the guy that comes to mind the most, right? So you had Chris Wormley who played and was a significant uh, kind of addition, if you will, just got more playing time and was a factor. So I wanted to revisit the list uh, I, would, I would look at for 2020 and pick a couple of guys that, if you will, can be, if not, you know, very influential contributors, flat out starters. And you need that if you're going to be a successful team in the NFL. The best teams usually have five, six guys that come up that weren't uh, involved as contributors the year prior and end up making their mark. And, and that makes a big difference in the, in the level of success that the team has. Okay, so I, I, I appreciate you graciously also inviting me to do this with you and to 
in, in my selection of players, I used a slightly different definition of players who would take a substantial step forward in terms of what they're contributing. But, you know, that, a little bit of interesting, a little bit of difference of definition between the two of us. We can go through and uh, and talk about our five. Why don't we start with, uh, with uh, your number one guy? Yeah, Justice Hill, I think, to me, is an obvious choice. It's interesting because before you and I jumped on this uh, on this discussion, I was just kind of glancing around, seeing if there was any buzz with his end of the season, with other articles, media, and I didn't really see anything. And I, I it's interesting if you just look at the stats, you would not think anything of Justice Hill. Granted, he, he got to take advantage of some factors, uh, Mark Ingram getting some time off, obviously for his injury. Um, Gus Edwards was more involved, but the, the if you looked at this game to game. Justice Hill was was integrated more into the offense schematically, and he took advantage of that. And I think the Browns game, the Steelers game in particular, in the passing game, he was a factor against the Browns on uh, some dump-offs. You saw elements of what he would become, I think, in this offense, ideally, when they drafted him. So that was where I was coming from in terms of listing him number one. I, I think he could be a major weapon next season, and I think Greg Roman's going to want to get him involved just based on the pattern of the play calling and the game planning with Justice Hill in particular. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And uh, speed in space, getting it to other playmakers other than Jackson in space is something I thought they really would even do more of in 2019, but they certainly need to increase the amount that they put the ball in other players' hands with speed, whether that's Hill or Brown or Boykin, whoever it might be, uh, this year. Hill had not a great year as a receiver, which mm-hmm. is a which is an issue as a running back. I was expecting more from him in that regard. Uh, actually, probably got a little bit more as a pass blocker than I was expecting, particularly at the end of the year, but uh, but not that much as a receiver. No, that's a fair point. And the Browns game was one of the few games where I think he was involved quite a bit in the past game, but that's that was it. Like so, that's going to have to change. And then you kind of have to wonder how they're going to approach Mark Ingram's role in 2020 if they want to get Justice Hill more involved as a pass catcher on third downs. Ingram would probably have to take a little bit of a step back, which could backfire because Ingram's their best pass blocker. So those are some considerations that, from a personnel standpoint, to get Hill more involved on the field that they'll have to make. But what we really, what I really was impressed with, Ken, was I think he started running the ball better. In between the tackles, I think he started seeing the holes better. And that that run against Pittsburgh just stood yes. out. Touchdown run. It's, it's like, man, he, he showed everything on that run. So, I, you know, in terms of the jump cut, the balance, the deceptive power. power. Yeah, so that's where I got that, you know, Alvin Kamara, you know, comparison. He, I think Kamara, he said, is, is his favorite player or the guy that he looks at. And that's a lofty comparison but i could see that really playing out not 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 that he's kamara but i think he's that type of a player where you can use him in a lot of different ways and he can make an impact just on 10 touches 15 touches a game one of the things that that other teams have done and it's a question not whether this is could be a roman thing who you know obviously prefers heavier packages is the would the ravens ever be a candidate for pony backfield Mm-hmm. given given you know we see it used other places cleveland has done some of it and kansas city certainly has done a fair amount of it is there a is there a place for that here when you have such heavy use of tight ends you know a fairly predominant fullback role as well uh is there a place for it oh i think so for sure and if he's going to model anything you can go back to the saints tape and you can see how they use ingram and kamara together simultaneously now Back to your point, that means Justice Hill is going to have to improve his ability as a receiver. If you're going to use him uh, in more of a flex spot, detach him from the line, do these different things, I think that's what he could do, and that would enable you to still have Ingram or Gus Edwards on the field. Have both of these guys on at the same time. They have so many different personnel groupings (laughs) that it's difficult to make decisions. I'm sure their game planning structure when you have three tight ends you have Patrick Ricard but this is where I think Hill could be a major weapon to really add speed and add explosiveness and add some more of a matchup possibility outside of their tight ends so I would like to see that and I think they can do more of that all right 
All right. Well, I think it's a pretty good breakdown of Justice Hill. Hill was also the top guy on my list. So why don't we go to number two on yours? Yeah, it's, uh, number two is Dale and Mac. So as I wrote in my article, Return of the Mac, maybe. But he had never really had even a – I mean, to say return is, is almost – it's it's the start for him. It would be the start. Mm-hmm. This one is a pretty obvious pick, I think, because, you know, Michael Pierce, I think of all the guys, the top free agents the Ravens have, uh, he's kind of the guy I see as, as being the most obvious that they don't bring back. I think cost-wise, it's going to be tough to bring him back. So you have Brandon Williams under contract, obviously, but uh, – you know, with Mac, I just could see it in most. This is the most natural uh, kind of pathway for him to start. Now, there's been some concerns, I think, coming out of college, uh, a little bit of concern, uh, just going back through his profile, through his, through some of the write-ups on him, that he doesn't play consistently, and he's kind of, you know, when it comes to being physical, being stout up, up front, that that consistency is not always there. That's not what you want out of a 330-pound mm-hmm. guy who's you know, going to be involved to plug the run. So you hope that he can improve on those things. But I think just based on the Michael Pierce factor and the fact that, you know, obviously he had a chance Mac did last year to play, uh, he's next man up. So for me, and he's if they go down that route, he's going to have to step up. Right. I, I agree. Eight, eight snaps last year all in that Cleveland game in week four. So he, he didn't really play. Um, the Ravens finished the season with four nose tackles on the team with Pierce Williams. And, you know, to anybody else, Brandon Williams is a nose tackle. One of the mm-hmm. reasons I don't think we've seen the pass rush success from him is that he's he really hasn't played that nose position uh, the last few years, for, frankly, because he, the only time he ever gets to play it is in the race car package when there's four outside linebackers on the field with him. But the but they also had Pecco and Ellis, who are also both free agents, we don't know if they're going to bring him back. Pekka was a tremendously productive tackler, but I think you need to go into the to the year with three guys up front along with Wormley that you're very comfortable lining any three of those four up. Well, I'll say any two of those three with Wormley uh, as a five-tech in, in any three-wide formation uh, at the defensive line, whether that's the base or the jumbo nickel. Yeah, I agree. That's even more reason why... They have to get contribution from Dale and Mac, uh, and, and he's going to be involved in the, in the mix. Now the question is, is he going to get, and he's going to log a lot of snaps as a, as a starter, quote unquote, right? Like he could be just involved in the rotation in early down uh, situations, but, or or you know special packages, goal line jumbo. I just I tend to see him getting a better chance, uh, and really. It's it's a shot in the dark to an extent because he's got no nothing on his resume at this point as a rookie other than like uh, a set you know like look at a guy like Jalen Ferguson that naturally makes sense because he got a lot of playing time last year and showed what he can and can't do mm-hmm. so Mac is is a complete unknown however to your point this the way that they play defense the way that they uh, they they stick with their three four scheme I think he's gonna have to to get some playing time or else that's a pretty huge miss for them. Right. It, it, it would be a shame if they let a guy go. They, they've, it's been a long time since they've cut a guy in the second year like that. I guess it, what, the lineman snacks, what was snacks last name? I want to say snacks Robinson, but I don't think that's right. It's snacks something else, but anyway, snacks he, Harrison, I think that's, that's him. You're talking about. So, yeah. so, so he was a fifth round pick and, and they, uh, they ended up cutting him, but they haven't. There haven't been very many of those that they've cut in year one, and even fewer that they've that they've seemed to cut in year two. And even some kind of weak picks like Devon Drew, they held on to a little longer than they probably should have when uh, uh, when they had a player there. So I think that Ravens history would tell you they're probably going to keep Mac, uh, even though he might have been redshirted. You know, we we're not privy to practice, but it very, it's very possible that since he was put on IR at the same point that, that Pecco and Ellis were acquired, that was really a red shirting more than a, more than an actual injury. Right. That's a good point too. So how ready that, how confident were they in him? Was this an injury related move? He did get the snaps against the Browns. He didn't hear about him again after that. And then all of a sudden when they needed someone to step up, they went the veteran route with those two sightings and they decided to, well, like you said, we, we don't, we're not privy, but 
this could very easily have been a stash situation. But that being said, we've also seen Brandon Williams himself, for example, is a guy that that they they waited on, I think, and he ended up making an impact second season, right? So he, he mm-hmm. wasn't at all involved as a rookie and that really came on the, the second season. For all intents and purposes, Mac is talented. I think he's a guy that um, has the physical ability to be a good ball player in the NFL. And maybe he just needed that time to grow and maybe he needs the coaching in the off season. He needs the off season program. And you, you know, I think they have something in mind for him, especially with Michael Pierce moving on. And like you said, the two veterans moving on. So he's going to have to be a guy that they have to, to get something out of this season. Yeah. Good point on Brandon. 8.2% of snaps in 2013 in his rookie year. Yep. All right. Very good. Okay, uh, how about I, I'll call out my second guy here, and we'll, we'll go down the list this way. Uh, my, my number two guy is Boykin. And in terms of – I had a player each on offensive defense. We'll get to the defensive player later. But, but he's a guy I think could gain the most from working with a receiving coach this offseason in terms of improving route running for sure, uh, improving some of the things about the mechanical things he does to catch the football would be good, I think. I think he can improve there, even though he's not, uh, you know, terribly. But what he needs is a presence in other places along the route tree, uh, and, and an ability to to fool a defender better. I think th- those are good. He has all the downfield blocking he'll ever need as an NFL receiver. He's outstanding. Um, but in terms of running a larger percentage of the route tree, I think that's where he can improve and and bring his skills to bear. I think in a in a much more significant way. It's exciting. His 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 talent just jumps off the page. He's not much different than DK Metcalf mm-hmm. physically, right? Those two guys and going uh, when they got when they drafted Boykin, that's why I was excited about him because I'm like you're getting a guy like Boykin plus you have Brown, so you're getting the best of both worlds. Uh, but you're right. I think he's got to be more physical. If you saw some of the routes that he wasn't able to win on, it's because the press corners he was going up against on those sideline routes kind of just were able to barricade him from the ball. So him on those routes where he's got to, you know, like if he's if you're talking about the stop routes and and those types of routes where he's going to have to come back for the football, he's going to have to do a better job of winning through contact. And that was something I think that he had a rep at in Notre Dame at, at Notre Dame as well. Is that he was he struggled at times being as physical as his size would lend. So if he can do that and like you said, work on his technique, work on his ability uh, to get separation initially. I definitely think he's the type of receiver that can make two, three splash catches for you every game, right? He's always a threat if he gets more playing time, which naturally you would think if Seth Roberts moves on. We know receivers in an area that they may address with a veteran or through the draft, that's quite possible. But I think regardless with Boykin's ability to block, mm-hmm. even with play action in that in that part of the game, He's going to get his chances to make some some catches downfield on jump balls like we saw in the Seattle game. So I agree with uh, Boykin being a guy that could break out. Unfortunately, as you know, I, and I think I explained this to you, I have to li- limit my list to five guys. But I think his his I think his impact might still be as a specialist and a guy that makes a few big plays versus uh, consistently week after week. Hmm. OK, let's let's move on with yours then. It's a kind of cheated, I think, with number three, <laughs> with uh, Mr. Young coming back. But this article, again, when I when I take a step back just to explain to people when they read this, think about it like these are also the, your free agent additions before free agency starts. So with that in mind, you know, Tavon Young is a forgotten guy. He's coming back. It's going to make a major impact. And Ken, I know you appreciate this being in, in the trenches with the film study, but all of a sudden just having a natural slot corner back in his yes. role can now you know improve like three or four positions across your secondary where and that's that's not to say Marlon Humphrey did a very good job I think given his responsibilities and he adapted well and I think you still want to flex him around and move him around and that's all there but I think now with Young having the a dedicated slot corner coming back and now you have two of the best isolation island corners in, in the league playing the perimeter again. And and the young also, and I brought, brought this up in the article, forget how much he really is another playmaker. He's around the football. He blitzes pretty well. 
and he's, he's physical, right? So those are all elements that you need. Looked at their schedule, just a, did a tertiary glance, and, and they're going to play some good slot corners um, this year. I, I, you know, I think take, taking a look at the list real quick uh, that I mentioned, um, and you, you have Sterling Shepard up, you have Jar- Jarvis Landry twice, you have Julian Edelman, Tyler Boyd. So these are all guys that all of a sudden you're not as worried about maybe matching up and having the physical change of direction against. Again, they handled it, things well with the slot position this year, but you're going to be even better. And hopefully uh, hopefully he stays healthy, but that's where I was coming from with picking Tavon Young. Yeah, no, I think it's a, I think it's very valid, and, and we don't know what we have with Tavon Young. We really didn't know what we ha- were going to have back with Lardarius Webb either the first or the second time he came back from injury. The first time he came back from injury, and he was briefly the best cornerback in the entire game in 2011. And then the second time he came back from injury, he really wasn't the same player anymore. Uh, yeah, you know, that's so, a valid so, point. Yeah. So we, we, we don't know in Tavon's case, and this is the second time around for him, so we'll uh, we'll have to see how this goes. In fact, I think the Ravens will be well served to go out and get a uh, fairly low-budget slot corner that they believe in that nobody else really has figured out yet. You know, obviously the, guy, the, 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 the ideal guy would be like getting Corey Graham again. That's not probably going to happen, but you, yeah. you, you hope. Um, but but if they, they need to have somebody to back up Tavon just in case. And I otherwise agree with all your points about it's really going to improve the rest of the defense. I thought Humphrey actually took a step back in 2019 in terms of his play, although he did some very fine things and was you know the MVP for most of the – through maybe half the season defensively. I think what they asked him to do was so far out of – where he would be normally. We, we're going to be pleasantly surprised by how much he leaps back towards his 2018 season, um, right. I think, in 2020. Yeah, exactly. And who knows, now you might even be able to to take advantage of some other skills he brings to the table uh, because you have Tavon Young who could focus on on the coverage responsibilities. We saw Marlon Humphrey, Humphrey involved even playing linebacker at times and, you know, coming in in the blitz game. So it's depending on what else they do with the rest of the cornerbacks that, you know, you have Peters coming back and whether they have Brandon Carr coming back or, or staying, I should say, or they bring Jimmy Smith back, but just having another skilled corner, like young in the backfield, just from a depth standpoint, I think is going to enhance all these other guys and, and Wink's ability to continue to to use their versatility in different ways. How do you see that playing out with the three guys specifically? So we've got Jefferson, Carr, and um, and Jimmy Smith. Those three, how do you expect them to, to be um, dealt with roster-wise in 2020? I think Jefferson is unfortunately gone, uh, especially this Chuck Clark re-signing or, or the, the, the signing of Chuck Clark the money that they're putting into that position, I can't imagine that they're doing that they're going to keep Jefferson and, and Jefferson, you know, if he gets released and they and that's a major cap savings, but I, I think he'll get a job immediately, right? So he's still a viable starting safety in this league for sure. I think they would be doing him a disservice by keeping him anyway. And I think just you know you move on. Maybe he, you know, maybe he plays more of a joker role if you keep him and, and you kind of work out some sort of uh, reduce uh, pay, you, know, you reduce reduce his contract or you know get him to, to to agree to a reduced deal. I don't know. I think it just makes more sense that they move on. Um, I think Carr, he's the guy that I would like to see them reduce his salary but keep because mm-hmm. he can still give you. I think he's he's so versatile. He can play safety for you. He gives you tremendous value. I would like to have Jimmy Smith back, but then if you keep Carr, <laughs> I don't know if you can keep Jimmy Smith. But you might have a little bit better insight into that, like how they could juggle both guys, because I've ha- I've I've been asked that question on Twitter, and I've I've said I don't think you can keep both guys. Well, in, in 2018, they had a four-to-make-three set of cornerbacks, and it worked well. And and Humphrey won the defensive MVP award despite playing 64% of the snaps at safety, which is just unheard of. I, I just I've never never heard of that sort of arrangement where you had a, a first of all a cornerback winning a team MVP is extremely rare. But when it is, it's usually some island corner who's great, Darrell Revis or somebody like that, who 
is playing every snap or very close to it and is very productive. And Humphrey, you know, played two thirds of the snaps and, and uh, you know, won the MVP. And it was because they had this rotational system going around. Right. I'm not really a fan of that. I would rather they make room for youth at this point at corner. They have a couple of guys. They don't know exactly what they have. Anthony Averett after two years, I am not in the dump Anthony Averitt camp. You get this, these bipolar Ravens people <laughs> who are who, who are very negative or, or very positive on Averitt, very positive after his rookie year and very negative after what happened in the first few weeks of this last year. I'm, I'm not either. I'm, I, I'm still saying I, I don't know exactly what we have. And then the other guy, uh, uh, of course, is, um, uh, is the USC corner, is Eamon Marshall. And I... I, I don't know what they have there either. I mean, they got a physical guy. He's had one NFL snap so far. He's way behind in terms of, yep. of getting an opportunity. So, you know, we need to find out what they have there. And, you know, the, the cost of rule is generally you draft a corner every year. So maybe they draft a slot corner instead of signing. Yeah, that's those are all great points. And they have the picks. I mean, depending on, and you and I have talked about this, do you keep, if you keep those picks and you have the fourth round picks and they're going to get some comp picks, then that naturally makes sense to just draft another guy like they drafted Iman Marshall. Uh, so just you would use that pick for the slot position, which is even more accentuated of a need because Tavon Young in his injury history. So mm-hmm. I could see it going either way. I could see them drafting a guy. I could see them signing a guy. Maybe they do both. We know how they like to dedicate their resources to the secondary. I do think if you can keep Carr, uh, and again, get him to agree to a pay cut. That's the best of both worlds because he's already under contract and you keep him for a, a good deal and he plays a lot of safety, right? So I think that's the that's the better route. I think with Jimmy, it's tougher. Uh, and to your point, I think then you're going back to that rotation. And Marlon Humphrey we, we, is the Charles Woodson of this team and he can play everywhere. But I would love to see him get the chance to play more on the perimeter in his natural position that he did the year prior and, and just kind of focus on that. Yeah, I, I'm with that. It would also allow the Ravens to play a stationary secondary, meaning they're not chasing anybody, they're not shadowing any particular receiver. And I, I always prefer that. I think, you know, certain corners get used to tracking the ball and defending the boundary over one shoulder and they're better at it. And they may have a better catching shoulder. They may have a better look back shoulder. But whatever the case may be, I think that, that it's better to keep a guy on the same side of the field. I think Peters really, um, you know, did well uh, yep. in the second half in terms of, of being able to just take that stationary spot. Yeah, I agree completely. I think Humphrey does give you a lot. He gives you this is the difference between him and Peters is that he does give you more. We saw mm-hmm. that. I still say you 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 do that with him, but you dial it back. And if you keep Carr and you have Tavon Young coming back, all of a sudden you have those options. Like you can keep Humphrey a little bit more dedicated in in the role he he's most proficient at. Okay. All right. Um, I'm going to go on with one related guy as my third, and that's uh, Deshaun Elliott, because he's kind of a forgotten guy in a lot of ways because he's been hurt for two years now and, and has gotten minimal playing time. But I did get a little bit this year in terms of getting some snaps, mostly in that dime role. Uh, and, and it brings up an interesting question because you know, the Ravens need to identify, to my way of thinking, another back-end safety, particularly if they're going to let Carr loose because Carr is the guy they really depended on to do more of that cover two work when they played anybody in cover two or even to play the, the center fielder role and blitz Thomas uh, when, right. when they did that. So I think there's a question as to, as to who is that guy? Do they want to put Clark back there, maybe take a little bit less injury risk and keep Elliott up front as a as more of a dime in more of a dime role? Or do they try and, and see what Elliott's got on the back end? It's a good point. Because Elliott, I think, was going to take on more of that dime joker kind of role. He was gonna play in, in play some linebacker for you in the dime package, do what Chuck Clark did. And he's got the size and the dimensions for it in his game as well like he's, he's a physical guy he made he was showing some playmaking ability in the preseason so i could see that happening and you you kind of get him more integrated and then you dial back a little bit more for chuck clark get him more involved in the back end and i think chuck clark can do that we've seen him be able to do that and so i i do think that's what if elliot can stay healthy and he gives you that ability uh i think that's really where they could things and you know match up against tight ends and take a linebacker off the field. So 
I could see that, and I, it's a good question. I don't know his abilities to cover uh, on the back end, though, in deep coverage, uh, deep coverage situations. Like, I don't know if he's instinctual. I don't know if he has that ability sideline to sideline. So I, I, I would just play him where he's at his best and just give mm-hmm. him a few snaps and let him do that. Well, he showed that during the regular sorry, during the preseason last year, he showed some very good range on the back end. Now, who knows, telegraphing quarterbacks in there in the third and fourth quarter, who knows exactly what we're seeing during the preseason. But I, I at least like to see range at safety I would take as a less dependent on the opponent than other things like play at the line of scrimmage, like what you get from a Nate Bowling or what you get even from a Zach Sealer at the line of scrimmage. Uh, may have well been largely related to the opponent, but I think it's less, probably less so as a deep safety. Before we move on, I wanted to talk about packages that the Ravens play because there have been a very you know, significant shift in this over the last few years. And a lot of people accuse me of talking about the dime too much, but the Ravens played the most dime and quarter they ever have in their history this last year. In the 2000 season, that was their previous high, they played 34.5% diamond quarter 20 29.7 in the dime and 4.8 in the quarter this year 38.3 in the dime and 5.0 in the quarter 43.3 percent there so they have really converted in a lot of ways to more of that and a lot of that's chuck clark with the green dot is allowing them to experiment with packages that allow them to take that inside linebacker both inside linebackers if they want to off the field on any play and so right. they're much more comfortable doing that. Yeah, it's a combination of his ability uh, to wear the green dot. It's a combination of their depth in the secondary and all the versatility those guys present. Mm-hmm. Brandon Carr, Humphrey. And also, it's a, I guess, a, a good – I guess it speaks to the deficiency at linebacker a little bit too. So yes. it's just combining all those factors. You, and we, you and I have talked about the dive for years. We, we like the dive especially when you're playing against the Kansas cities of the world or, or some of these mm-hmm. teams, right? That you have more speed, but you can still play the run. And it's, it's an, it's really something we wanted to see more out of when Dean Pease was the, was the defense coordinator, but now Wink has really inherited that because he loves, I think all the things we just talked about. Plus uh, take it a step further. It gives you more disguise options. It just creates more speed on the field from a blitzing standpoint, there's a lot of benefits to playing dime, especially as you said, if you don't have a linebacker that can, you know, you feel good about in coverage. Now that could change this year. I think they definitely need to identify three-down linebacker of some kind, and we're gonna we're gonna talk to one of the about one of the guys that I I have on my list that might be an X factor. But um, that being said, yeah, I think you still have the option to play dime when you don't find that linebacker. Right. I, I even. If you find the unicorn, by the way, if you, if you find the next C.J. Mosley or, or you find, uh, you know, Luke Keekley drops into your lap somehow or, or a player like that, or maybe Kenneth Murray is the guy. I don't know if he's really going to be a, a great NFL coverage linebacker, but we'll see. Right. Um, if, if you find the guy who can do all the things you want, um, fine. But you also have to be careful because when he gets hurt, you're really going to you're really going to be hurting. So I, I much prefer having platoons at inside linebacker and and I, I love what the Ravens did there at those positions this last year and I'd honestly be in favor of not using the first round draft pick on an inside linebacker now I don't want the Ravens to tell everybody that because they you know they should go into this draft saying yeah we can we're gonna draft best player available but that's one position where I'd really prefer if they did not use their first round pick yeah I could go either way with it I to your point if you find the guy uh I think that's terrific and it, we've seen the 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 impact of a C.J. Mosley and the value of having a guy like that on the field. However, I do like having the versatility, mix and match, different personnel. So I could see either side, and I think it really just depends on if, you know who's available. But because of the way they're structured, the roster construction, hey, they have the option. They have that mm-hmm. option to use different players, to, almost like New England has done for, for many years, you look at how new england plays they've done this they've had guys that are specialists and they've rotated so there's nothing wrong with that approach i don't know that you'll see like you said luke keekley's style of football as a result but you'll get 
you'll do pretty you'll do fairly fine I think against the run and the pass uh, especially if you can find a linebacker who can cover although we said that about Kenny Young and that didn't pan out but and <laughs> I take more some cracks at it all right fair enough let's let's move on on your list then yes yeah, so a natural transition here Chris Board is a guy that I know might get you know catch some some eye rolls or some some kind of like raised eyebrows about here's a here's the thing I think Chris Board is somebody we don't know about just by seeing anything he's he's really done right I think this is based purely on the coaches if they like Chris Board which we which is they've said that they have if you remember in the preseason he was the dark horse to start alongside Peanuts so that's how far along they had him at the pecking order and concussions killed him and I think the the first concussion as the season started, well, actually, I think it was towards the end of the preseason, but during the season uh, against the Browns and the Steelers and that grouping of games, he uh, he got hurt again and missed some time. That set him back. The preseason concussion set him back as well. And he just never got, he just never caught up and they needed to move on with Bynes and Fort. Now, Bynes is a free agent. I think he's an easy guy to bring back to a modest contract. He gives you value uh, as a starter, plug-and-play starter, but also on special teams. If you do that, that's a, a move I would be fine with. How uh, LJ Fort's are already under contract, so you could still go with the same guys and then have Board as your third rotational guy because I don't think Peanut is coming back. I think that ship has right. sailed. So we're talking about a three-man linebacker rotation back to what we were just talking about, and you draft a guy perhaps, but the draft pick... There's so many variables to that guy giving you any contribution this season. So I think Board is a guy the coaches like. He's obviously an impact special teams player. But I think he's going to get another chance, just, again, kind of reading the tea leaves a bit. And I think when he played, he, 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 did, he did show himself in a positive way uh, on the field. And they liked his speed. They liked his quickness. They liked his instincts. I think his instincts are better than Ken Young's instincts, for example. So... Uh, I could see him being a starter under the scenario that they don't bring back, um, if they don't bring back Bynes, they draft a guy, and they just need to start someone on day one. Right. It's, I, I would agree. I think it's possible. Now, a couple of things are working against Board, but I, I, I will start by saying he only missed one ball game, which to me is amazing. But he played 15 games this last year, missed week 15 against the Jets. I am looking at the at the rundown and he played every single other game played at least looks like about 15 special team snaps in those games with one right. exception and uh, and so he, he certainly was there the Ravens were using him as a goal line specialist in a handful of games so they do this often from time to time they pick one guy they want to have in there who's they think I guess is more physical or whatever but they would take players like Bart Scott out of the lineup on goal line and replace him with somebody of, of this ilk but board was a specialist in goal line packages and, uh, you know, I think there are things working for him. I think that the things working against him are that the Ravens had so much success during the with the dime. And you mentioned this earlier. I didn't really respond to it. But the dime gives you the alternative to rush from anywhere. You can rush from the slot. You can rush from safety. You can rush from linebacker, obviously. You can drop guys to coverage with the dual Sams the Ravens can put, put on the field at the same time. And on third and seven and whatnot, Get to, to get a fast pressure on third and medium, that's the way to do it in the NFL is with a free runner and not by trying to win some one-on-one -on -one matchup. So I think it's you're, you're, you have much more value you can generate by 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 having any one of eight guys who can rush the quarterback. Yeah, exactly. So to your point, if you have those linebackers on the field, you have two linebackers on the field, it's to, to your detriment yes. now with, with disguise – and being uh, unpredictable. Yes, yeah, so that, that's that's a definite uh, point against board getting more playing time. The only thing I could say or I could see is your obvious uh, run situations, uh, base situations where board might still see the field, two linebacker scenarios along right. with um, LJ Fort. And to your point, he played. Now, the mystery is at some point, at some point when they brought on LJ Fortin Bynes, mm -hmm. they, there was something that he wasn't showing them in practice, and he was behind, I think, and he, he just couldn't catch up. 
And that's where will he have that chance uh, this offseason to do that? And it really, again, comes down to how much the coaches like him. To your point, maybe having him in these packages, that is their way of figuring out uh, what, what value he can bring. And maybe that's their opportunity to say, we do like this guy. We see some some potential with him to be one of many in a lineage of inside linebackers that they plucked kind of out of nowhere to, to start. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, is it, he did. It, you can't separate him from the group, though, of Owasso and Young. And I think you've just done that with what you said. I mean, his snaps went to zero effectively the moment that Bynes and Fort were acquired after week four, after that miserable Cleveland game. Effectively, that entire group of three inside linebackers they started the season with got flushed in terms of playing time. And and Owasso did. Owasso was the one who continued on with playing time. Kenny Young just a very little bit before he was traded. And Owasso, um, his snaps in the base package are open for board to take in theory if that's not, in fact, you know, Fort and Bynes in that role. But I think if you're in a run defense role, I would expect that it might be, it might well be Board and Bynes if Bynes returns would be a natural combo. Other point on this, yep. Chris Board, third year, he now is in the declining component of his four-year option, and he's going to have to compete with other guys who come in in their first year, and he's going to have to be better than them in order yeah. to, be, to, to be capped. That is where he's at a major disadvantage. You're right. So this is where... My prediction, it's a little bit out, it's a little bit of a reach, but uh, it's also a position that they real. it's one of their, I think it's one of their weakest positions, Ken, on the yeah. entire team. So it's also one of those things where they may just be kind of a prisoner of the talent that they have and, and, the, and the resources that they want to put into it. So that could make it so that they look at him and say, rotationally, if they continue to do three-person rotation, he's still involved in that mix as well. All right. Uh, that's uh, cool. Let's uh, go on to the next player then. I, I'll uh, I'll name the next one on mine. We each have an offensive lineman for number five, but my number four guy is still a defender. It's uh, Ferguson, Jalen Ferguson. Uh, the Ravens still don't know what they have there, and they need him to, 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 to fill a lot of roles given the dearth of talent they obviously have on the edge. Uh, first of all, they just need him to be the best rush linebacker he can, both in terms of generating some rush and also in setting the edge better than he did this last year. Now, he improved a little bit, but he was – go back to the San Francisco game where the where San Francisco got loose six times to the outside. Ferguson right. was vo- involved pretty much in all of those plays with an action verb on my note. <laughs> and so right, I, right. I did my article was kind of circled around that, so I just happened to know that. And uh, un- unfortunately, uh, you know, he, they had to pull him in that game. And that, right. that was the big thing to getting him stopped over the last 25 minutes, getting San Francisco stopped, was to, was to put Ward in for Ferguson. And then what, what happened, I noticed immediately, was that Ward st- or, sorry, Ferguson started to play better against the run the next couple of weeks. So hopefully this is something where he's a coachable kid. And, and you know, they were correcting some things about him getting duped by the, by the San Francisco tackles in particular and possibly the tight ends getting trapped a little bit. Um, that, that they, you know, they're teaching him some things on the fly that he's actually picking up. But he's another player, a lot of position-specific skills he needs. I think using his hands, being more violent, would be another as a pass rusher. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he needs to spend time this offseason improving his own game. Yeah, I like him a lot. I like a lot of the things that he showed last season. But there's some definite concerns as well. He's he's the type of guy I could see really. If he, if it's your point, if he takes the coaching well, he commits. And I think there's no reason that he won't. Um, and he gets better and better. And this was kind of what was discussed as his um, kind of kind of some of the challenges with drafting him in the first place was that, you know, his game in college, there was going to have to be a major transition to the pros given the competition he played against and also just the fact that he really relied on his, um, his moves, his power, but didn't necessarily have tremendous... Um, burst and and he didn't have tremendous bend so those are like natural pass rushing traits that you want but he doesn't necessarily have those but he 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 was i think relentless at times he did show physical ability his moves are there his use of hands are there like you said he needs to be a little bit more violent i think pernell mcphee took him under his wing last season and that really helped him so just 
continuing to work on some of these things, I think he will get better and better. Um, now, that being said, you know, this is another interesting position on the team because you got Matt Judon, who may or may not be back. If he's back, and they, I think, will still make an effort to add one or two other edge guys. I mean, they've got Bowser coming back as well, but mm-hmm. you, you would think they're going to have an infusion of talent, whether they use an early pick or they sign a veteran or maybe they do both. So I, I think that's where the Ferguson part, he'll be in the rotation. And I, I made a comment, Kenny, and you'd appreciate this. I was watching the New England Patriots-Ravens AFC Championship matchup in, from 2011. Yeah. And it just blew my mind how deep that rotation was that they had up front with their rushers and their and their and their uh, interior guys. Like they rotated seven different people between R. Jones and uh, you know McPhee and Kruger and Jared Johnson. They they were they were rotating a lot of guys in that game. So I would love to see that come back. And I know Ferguson will be part of that. The question is how many snaps and whether he'll start or not. Right. Well, he, he did play, and and they all did. Obviously, after McPhee went down, they all played in this in this four outside linebacker package where they just had one of their defensive linemen in the game only directly over the nose. So Ferguson is an important guy to play on the inside in that package. Uh, so they, they need him both for the, for the inside and the outside. Right. I don't think his snaps will go away as a pass rusher, at least in that package. I think it'll be around whether it's four outside linebackers or five again as it was for one game when they had all the stars aligned and McPhee was the guy playing over the nose before he got hurt. But, uh, but I think it, it, I expect them to continue with that. It was successful. I think they, you know, it's obviously something that, that, that uh, uh, Martindale's very comfortable scheming for. So I think Ferguson will be a part of that, but I, I agree with you. His, his total, his total contribution is going to be highly dependent on how he plays the run and how he can be in on there on those downs on the edge. Oh, absolutely. I agree. I think he'll get better. There's signs that he'll play better, but absolutely, he's got to do that. He's got to be more reliable against the run. All righty. So let's go with your your fifth guy. Yeah, my fifth guy is Ben Powers. Uh, he, to me, is your, your Bradley Bozeman of this season, basically, because if we looked at Bo- Bozeman still, you know, Bozeman was in the mix, kind of, for that left guard position. And then all of a sudden he, he just kind of took it, took it and ran with it. He took the opportunity and ran with it uh, in that, I think it was a three-person competition preseason. So I could see there's got to be a couple factors in which, uh, you know, to happen for both, for Powers to play. And one is, as I noted in the article, the Marshall Yonda factor is definitely one where if he retires, that's a pretty clear pathway for him to be a plug-and-play right guard and He's got some of the same qualities that you look for in that right guard position as Yonda does and has has had. He's not a Hall of Fame player, but I'm just saying in terms of the physical traits, being a physical run blocker, um, being a a nasty guy, nasty disposition, mean streak, those are all the things you, those are the hallmarks of a a good left uh, right guard in particular. So I think that's one pathway. And the other, I, I mentioned this as an outside shot depending on Matt Skura's recovery, mm-hmm. do they play around with moving Bradley Bozeman to center? I know Makari did a good job and handled the responsibilities well on the fly. But, you know, offseason always is an opportunity to reassess things. So I think that is a possibility depending on Skura's recovery. So those are two possible options where Powers gets more playing time. But the bottom line is he's got a lot of physical ability and, you know, there's some questions about his athleticism, whether he can pull, and those types of things are important in, in Wink's scheme, but I mean, I mean, in Roman's scheme. But um, that being said, Powers' raw physical ability is something that at some point I think is going to be a situation where they're going to get him on the field somehow. Right. I mean, I, I think you've, you've labeled two ways that you could make it right there. But the third is, is, you know, maybe even more likely is somebody gets hurt. Well, any one of the three interior guys would, would I think, immediately create an opportunity for him. At least I, I hope it would. I hope they wouldn't go to James Hurst or, or somebody else. So, you know, if they had Ronas Grasso or somebody sitting around, I, I hope they wouldn't do that. But uh, I really liked what I saw from Powers against Pittsburgh. And before that, you know, again, with us not being privy 
to things that happen after the preseason. Powers looked okay in the preseason. He did have some holding calls in one game. But, uh, you know, we saw a guy uh, in that Pittsburgh game who the game did not look too big for him. And Pittsburgh, obviously a very good defensive line and a very committed opponent, even in the last game of the season with their playoff fate on the line. And Powers held up very well, made 25 of 29 blocks, no negative plays in that game. Uh, and, and, you know, first of all, I'm saying, where's he been the whole year? Because we could really could have used this guy. But the other thing I, I'm saying is, I guess this dispels some of the notion that he really hadn't been practicing well, that, it, that there's something about it. Now, it doesn't mean that he's not in the doghouse for some reason. That could have been true and we wouldn't have known. But it, but it, but it, it, it probably... You know, I saw I, I saw too many good things in that game to really believe that he'd look just utterly terrible during practice. Yeah, that's an excellent point. He, he did have a good game against Pittsburgh. So this is another thing where, like we talked about Justice Hill, does that momentum carry over into the offseason and into the 2020 season? I think it does. They know what they have with powers. Sometimes when you have a guy like this, and I don't know, again, we don't know in the locker room setting what he's been like, or at least we haven't heard anything. But sometimes you, you kind of have to to humble him a bit. And, and he's got a – his talent ultimately should have went out. Like you said, he's a good ball player. He's got the pedigree. But maybe that's part of it. Maybe he kind of needed to take a step back. And they know what they have in him. And, and, and he needed a year to acclimate himself and, and get himself together in the program. But – it's going to be hard to keep him off the field, I think. Mm-hmm. That's really what this boils down to. And I, I hope to see him get some playing time next year one way or the other. Right. I, I will dovetail my last choice in with this because I don't know what to hope for, honestly. My last guy is Patrick McCary, and I don't know what to hope for, whether I hope that they move Bozeman to center during the, during the offseason, give Powers that left guard spot, which I think is where he would probably be put. I don't think they'd move Yonda at this point. Uh, just to give Powers his permanent position or whatever, right? To, you know, to let him grow into that. Although it would be a great move by Yana. Yana could do it. Um, but the, uh, uh, you know, it, it, I think the Ravens showed this year with who they had as their sixth and seventh offensive lineman by game that they wanted to do as little disruption as possible to their offensive line. And so they they had Ronas Grasso active just because he could have been the guy to step in at center from a carry late in the year. And they had McCary active earlier in the year because he he could have been the guy who stepped in for Skura and eventually did. Um, mm-hmm. And and then they had Hurst as the other guy because he could have he could have slipped in at either guard or tackle, but they wouldn't have had to to um, uh, you know to disrupt multiple positions by sliding somebody at the same time you insert somebody. So McCary is my guy. It's more of a hope than a than a real belief that he's going to take an enormous leap forward. I think. He's a very physical player. Uh, he unfortunately is is not blessed with particularly long arms, and that has shown up a lot in zero blocks. And what I mean that there's a missed block in my system where he co- comes with the action word shed. It's just uh, been awfully easy for longer arm defensive linemen to use their hands effectively against McCary, and he's he's been able at tackle in college to make use of those arms and, and overcome that shortcoming. So I'm, I'm still hoping that, you, you know, that ability to adapt will, will be something he can do at the pro level. Right. Uh, no, for sure. I think he had some shortcomings uh, physically and then just in his game. But to your point, the Ravens are also big on maintaining uh, continuity. Mm-hmm. So he does, he does have a leg up realistically, uh, depending on what happens with Squirrel, but he's got a leg up because he's already uh, gotten the playing time. So that's where he's at an advantage over a Powers, for example. But yeah, I think that it's a nice problem for them to have, or, or maybe not problems at the right word, because if you don't have Yanda and Squirrel, that can really disrupt things. But they do have two rookies in the case of Makari who, who played and then Powers who played some. But both of these guys, I think, have starting capabilities. That's a good thing. And I'm with you. I think Makari could very well be a diamond in the rough, and he could continue to be one of this one of their offensive linemen that starts for a couple of years, and you're just kind of like, where did this guy come from? Powers mm-hmm. has that pedigree, though, and that ability, and I think that'll end up proving itself out eventually. Yep, I, I agree with that. Dev, 
Always a pleasure to talk football with you. Love doing this with you. Hope we can do more of that this offseason. But tell us about what, what are you working on now over at Russell Street? Yeah, no, uh, likewise, Ken. I love talking with you, and hopefully we'll get to do more of that this offseason. Right now, I have nothing on tap uh, at the moment, but I've always got my mind twirling on something. So I think one of the natural possibilities is free agency coming up. Uh, I love the idea of evaluating players from outside of the organization and their fit uh, with the team. So I think coming into the March period, I'll probably have some sort of a write-up or I'll work on something that speaks to free agents. Um, and I've done this in the past, Ken, where they're not all of the uh, the big names that you would expect, like your A.J. Greens, uh, for example, or your J- Jadavian Clowney, for example, the guys that are going to headline the free agents um, I think there's always a group of guys um, and, and that, you know, Preston Smith is a, an example from the Packers last year that you don't really think about, but, uh, and you know, but the fit could make sense and they could be really good B, you know, type B or plan B type of free agent plan C. So for a team like the Ravens that doesn't necessarily have a ton of cap room, they have more, but they can't necessarily go crazy with it. Uh, that could be a, a fun project to, to work on to identify some free agents. And we'll see who gets cut as well. So that'll play a part into it towards uh, the first couple of days of free agency, uh, which players could be nice fits for the Ravens, given the economics and uh, given that they're stacked roster as as we know right now. All right. We'd love to have you back on to talk about that, Dev. That, that's the, just the kind of thing that's pure gold. In particular, if you want to take a positional group or a couple of positional groups and talk about that, I'd be really interested to know who you would think would be the nickel corner that might be out there that might be a value nickel corner. So the, yeah. guy, the guy who could be had at $2.5 million, $5 million for two years, maybe $4 million for two years, who's, who's the next – you know, Anthony Levine or a special teams, you know, ace who can also, hey, surprise and play some slot corner. I love that idea. I think that's the way we should approach it. For example, you know, slot corner edge guys uh, is another defensive tackles. Clayus Campbell's mm-hmm. name has been thrown around a lot. But again, that's a guy that's a marquee guy. We, yes. we know he's a good ball. We know he's going to be at the top of the heap. So who are those mid-range guys? And to your point, I think that would be an excellent project. So um, you know, I'll get in the lab and, and we can figure this one out for a future pod. All right. Sounds great, Dev. Dev, thanks for joining us. Folks out there, if you're listening and you'd like to be on a film study short this offseason, always very partial to anybody who's done any kind of analytics work of their own, done their own study. Love to have you on. Talk about your research. Talk about your value add in terms of what you're doing beyond what's in the normal statistics to analyze things and uh, and talk through that with you, give you a little bit of public uh publicity for your uh, for your work. Uh, appreciate you joining us again. Catch you next time on Film Study. Sports for fans by fans. Find more great shows like this at BirdlandSports.com. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.